0: Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the podcast featuring your physician host today, Dr. Tom McGovern, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Uh, Today, we're presenting another bonus episode dealing with coronavirus. We're normally heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode will be played on various podcast apps and at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. Today our guest is going to be Senator Todd Young, the senior senator from my state of Indiana, where I live. He's been a guest on the show in the past, and he's uh, giving us a a 15-minute window today to interview him about things of interest, uh, we think, to most Catholic listeners regarding coronavirus. Uh, We do not not have the uh, uh, intention of being politically partisan, we're going to focus on some of the Uh, popular things that have been done uh, by the federal government and try to get some insight into how people at the federal level are looking at managing uh, the crisis, not only currently, but especially in the future. So I'll be back in a moment with Senator Todd Young to see what he has to say to you and to me here on Dr. Doctor. Dr. Senator Todd Young, welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor. I know you're incredibly busy, working seven days a week for however long coronavirus has been around here. Thanks for being with us. The first question I want to ask really impacts doctors and patients, and that's telemedicine. The federal government has relaxed a lot of rules. The privacy rules have been relaxed, not eliminated. Medicare and other insurers are now paying for visits by telehealth, like in-person visits, which is good and we are now allowed as physicians to see patients across state lines also very good so telehealth is growing by leaps and bounds these changes were initially announced to be temporary and i know many of my colleagues who i've talked to since we last talked last week have told me they would not be doing telehealth except for these changes so my question to you is what are the odds that these changes will become permanent
1: Oh, I think there's uh, a really strong possibility that a number of these changes will become permanent. We should not go back to life completely as normal. There are a lot of lessons that we're, we're learning over the course of uh, this pandemic. Um, and um, uh, we, we should identify those silver linings and, and uh, yes. embrace them and change our practices. So I've, I've been a big believer in telehealth. Um, Prior to the pandemic. I saw the opportunities uh, associated with it uh, in normal times. But as we look to expand access and improve care and bring costs down, naturally, we're going to have to uh, incorporate some of the things we're doing right now into that broader picture. I was pushing for expanded broadband broadband deployment. <laughs> yes. Prior to, if if I could say those words, uh, <laughs> prior to the pandemic hitting, in part for the telehealth services. Of course, there are a lot of other uh, reasons we should invest in broadband deployment. But um, I, I think um, I, I think we're going to have to continue to look at some of these payment structures we put in place and maybe even incorporate more into our our medical curriculum as we teach doctors um, how to use telehealth and and to leverage these services.
0: That's an idea I had never thought of, but yes, medical students should learn how to do that.
1: Well, I I spoke yesterday and it really occurred to me, it was a dermatologist who uh, is one of the most respected dermatologists in the state. And he said, you know, Todd, it, it really took this, uh, pandemic and our shelter in place situation for me to recognize the possibilities and frankly, to get the comfort level. He said, my, many of my customers were more comfortable with it than I was uh, yes. initially, but um, he will never go back to business as usual. So he should receive the compensation for that. And of course, we're going to have to put parameters around uh, this sort of care, but um, I'm, I'm just very excited about the possibilities.
0: And do you think there is bipartisan support for doing that?
1: I do. I do. Uh, there may be some principal disagreement uh, uh, surrounding uh, some privacy issues and, and some other matters, but we'll identify in, in that policy Venn diagram where we can find <laughs> some common ground and come up, maybe not with perfect policies in the back end, but better policies, I believe.
0: Can you share any stories of how you've seen some of the legislation that you passed in a bipartisan fashion help either medical practices or small businesses?
1: Well as you know many medical practices are small businesses exactly uh, and and remain so despite the consolidation we've seen across much of the medical industry so congress has really taken extraordinary steps to protect those enterprises during a time when otherwise they wouldn't have the capital to make uh, you know make payments uh, for mortgages and rent and utilities and and keep their workforces attached The Paycheck Protection Program in particular has been very popular here in the state of Indiana. In fact, just the first round of funding led to $7.5 billion of loan approval in the state of Indiana. Most of that was directed towards small businesses. The national average for uh, loan amount was roughly $200,000. The average loan uh, was... Uh, here in the state of Indiana, roughly 150, if I recall, and much of that's $50,000 or less. So we're talking about small, uh, small bridge loans that disproportionately benefit those, uh, for example, small optometry offices in, in, in Jennings County, Indiana. That's an actual <laughs> example. And, and others um, who, who rely on this money just to uh, pay their employees.
0: It helped us bring 40 uh, of our staff back. Uh, with the PPP. Oh, so no, huge, huge for us. What do you think we as a nation and 50 individual states have learned so that we'll be better off in the fall if there's an increase in numbers of COVID cases?
1: Well, um, this is why we need a smart reopening of the economy to uh, uh, avoid the risk of uh, you know, uh, another spike in cases of of COVID-19. And I commend Governor Holcomb for allowing his public health council, um, his his state department of health and and the commissioner to really inform his policy responses. And we're trying to do that at the federal level as well. So the emphasis we're placing on testing and uh, where possible contact tracing and uh, putting protocols around different types of workplaces so that people feel safe and can go back to work and uh, can resume some semblance of normalcy is really important. I also think that uh, our public leaders' emphasis on washing your hands and, and wearing masks uh, in certain settings is something we're going to have to continue to be vigilant about. And and um, uh, there's been a lot of leadership Shown on that front, it's not just government officials. You know, um, I use the term leader broadly to encompass really everyone uh, who who uh, can, through modeling positive behavior, impact uh, in a positive way the behavior of others.
0: What is your understanding of the availability of testing now compared to a month ago? Are they pumping out more?
1: Yes, and my understanding is the trend lines continue to go up as manufacturing capacity is utilized, as new manufacturing capacity is identified, as some new tests uh, are approved and and developed, and um, as inputs for those tests, uh, the the ingredients for the test, the reagents and other things, uh, and and, and swabs are procured. So the trend lines are are, uh, still up, and that, of course, gives us more clarity about the health situation across different geographies, and will allow us to get back to work even sooner in a healthful way, which is what we all want.
0: Do you think that if there is an increase in cases in the fall, it will be unlikely we'll have to have the degree of shutdowns that we've had now in the spring?
1: Well, I I think we've learned a lot in the spring. Uh, in, In some of the exercises we've gone through, we probably won't have to repeat, right? Um, I I think that uh, we may well determine that certain businesses that uh, were unable to open on account of public health concerns have developed workarounds in the meantime and persuaded uh, the public health community and our elected officials that those workarounds will protect workers, but still uh, allow those businesses to provide the goods or services uh, that they were providing. So um, that's that's uh, an area that I know will be of continued interest and engagement for governors around the country, and for the uh, the Trump administration. I'm working with the Trump administration right. on their opening up America yes. Council, and uh, part of my role is to try and carry some of this information that's Indiana specific uh, to that committee mm-hmm. and make sure that uh, should this. Uh, we get this reoccurrence in the fall, uh, it'll be a little easier for us to adapt to it, and, and frankly, less costly in a lot of ways.
0: Last week when we spoke, we found out we had a common interest in looking at the unintended consequences, medical consequences of all the shutdowns. You know, for instance, at least past economic downturns have showed increases in suicide, drug use and overdose, domestic abuse, and poor health comes from people not seeking medical care when they, they needed to. Uh, you're obviously aware of this. How aware do you think other leaders in Washington are of the unintended consequences, the things that aren't showing up on the dashboards of COVID cases and deaths?
1: Well, not aware enough. Uh, I think most of my colleagues are, are certainly aware of uh, the suicide cases we've had, but that that's, um, uh, can be a factor uh, uh, loneliness can be a factor that Absolutely. impacts that, but it, it really doesn't encompass the much broader subjects of social isolation and right. loneliness. And um, there was a, a, a lonely epi- loneliness epidemic causing deaths of despair. You know, it's it's been around for a number of years. Yes. Uh, but before the, the COVID pandemic hit uh, clearly, and you, you can't just legislate that away. So we're going to have to continue with this education effort. I like to say that the pandemic ha- is creating sort of a national stress test for our country. And <laughs> yes. in, in, in the course of that stress test, there's a magnifying glass that is is shining on some of the existing stresses and vulnerabilities our country was already facing before the pandemic. This epidemic of loneliness is certainly one of those areas. So I'm trying to be constructive and, and provide some concrete uh, responses to this, all, although much of the response needs to be uh, at the neighborhood level, at the family household level, within churches, it's it's, not gonna, it's gonna be non-governmental in nature. Uh, but I, I, I did just introduce legislation to make 988 the National Suicide Helpline uh, so, that number needs to be as easy for most Americans to remember and dial as 911. And the state of Indiana just uh, showed some leadership by launching a website, bewellindiana.org, as a free resource. But, you know, I, I just go back to uh, neighbors and not for profits and engaged citizens who love one another and care for one another as, as, as being the most important ingredient to address this loneliness epidemic.
0: Yep. Subsidiarity is a beautiful thing. Yes. What are the best bipartisan ideas you've heard about dealing with COVID going forward?
1: Well, despite all the um, overheated rhetoric yes. and, and um, uh, histrionics that occur on cable news and, and, and talk radio oftentimes, almost all of our COVID response has been bipartisan in nature. Um, we've, been, we've passed four different bills or, or three and a half phases <laughs> uh, if, if you're really dialed into how we're talking about these things. And many of those bills passed unanimously. I mean, it's, it's it's remarkable that we've dedicated these many resources towards this important priority, completed all the work in just a few weeks and passed much of it unanimously. Um, and and uh, in the cases where there's been disagreement, um, the dissent has has just been a couple of members. So I've really been encouraged by the sense of cooperation that pervaded uh, Congress over these last few weeks. Cooperation is not an end uh, in and of itself. There's a there's a place for principled disagreement. There's a place sure. for debate, but uh, there's also a time to come together and uh, come up with shared sort of solutions to national problems that require immediate attention. And we've demonstrated that, that when push comes to shove, we, we really can get that done. And that's been encouraging to me and a lot of others.
0: And, and last question, what do you think uh, we should expect to see from Congress in the month of May related to COVID?
1: Well, I think we will continue to make sure that these programs that we've been able to stand up to help small businesses and households so that uh, they'll be made whole until they can get back to work uh, will we'll continue to improve their implementation. Uh, we want to make sure that they are accessible programs, that people who require uh, some assistance are, are getting that assistance, uh, if there is replenishment of a particular program that uh, is good public policy and, and we'll fill a need out there, we'll do that. There may be some gaps uh, in in uh, our response that we need to fill. Okay. And we, of course, want to make sure we do that. And, um, and, and then we're going to start to put uh, pen to paper relates to opening up the economy again and to the extent there are things at the federal level that we need to do to facilitate that we want to make sure that uh, we're, we're ensuring that uh, people feel safe and- Normal um, that uh, allows people to go out there and, and uh, not just meet their basic needs, but um, uh, feel as though they're able to improve their circumstances if they work hard and play by the rules, which is where we were right before the pandemic hit. So uh, we're going to work very hard to implement some policies that uh, put us back on a path of of rising wages and consumer optimism.
0: Senator Todd Young, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Dr. Doctor Doctor.
1: Thanks a bunch for having me. I really enjoyed it,
0: Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. Abortion. Phenography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.